Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson, and today we're talking with pastor, author, professor Zach Eswine about what it means to be unbusy in ministry. Uh, Zach is a pastor at Riverside Church in Webster Groves, Missouri. Um, he's director of homiletics at Covenant Theological Seminary and an adjunct professor of preaching and pastoral ministry at Gordon-Conwell Seminary, Western Seminary, and as an instructor at Grace Theological College in Auckland, New Zealand. He's also the author of numerous books, including Spurgeon's Sorrows, Sensing Jesus, and one of my personal favorites, The Imperfect Pastor. Zach, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Jared. It's really a privilege to be with you. Yeah, so I guess we should lead off with this question. I I don't want to assume that people... Um, understand, first of all, what we're talking about, but also um, that they understand the reasons for the problem. Why do you think um, too many pastors find themselves too busy? I I don't know that the answer is as obvious as some people may think it is. Yeah, that's such a good question, and there's a a lot to say about it, but I think maybe we could think of a contemporary reason and an ancient one. Okay. The contemporary reason would be that the a lot of the culture that a lot of us swim in in ministry values large things famously done as fast as possible <laughs> and uh and that means that folks who come to our congregations and ministry organizations just they just have that consumer mindset in them um without even realizing it you know so they're bringing expectations that we do large famous things fast and uh, we have leadership uh, leaders on boards uh, that that's their world in the business world, large, famous, fast, and without realizing it, they bring those expectations too. And so even though the stuff we're trying to do as pastors and leaders requires us to do small, mostly overlooked things over a long period of time, mm-hmm. we feel this immense pressure to produce so that we can appear successful and uh, appear to do a good job. And so that's a contemporary cultural issue that we're facing. And then you know, an ancient, an ancient one is just our own ambitions and uh, our own our own desires. And you know, a place like Ecclesiastes 10 will remind us of the errors of those in leadership. And one of those errors is just to uh, uh, resist rest, uh, to act as if we don't have to pause and rest uh, along the way. And so our ambitions get the best of us too. And you know, that's an ancient problem that we have. Hmm. Well, I mean, what's the the problem with this kind of busyness? What is it? What do we run the risk of? I guess, in in other words, if the expectation is that we're going to do, as you said, large things famously as quickly as possible, uh, and we're meeting those expectations, then we should be good to go, right? Everyone will be happy with us, and um, and that sort of thing. So, yeah. <laughs> what? yeah. It's, it's- it's it's great in the short run. Okay. <laughs> uh, the approval I mean, rating the is high. Is it works. Okay. <laughs> uh, it works uh, for a while. I see. Uh, you know, uh, arborists tell us that you don't know a tree is rotted till long after it has, because the tree continues to produce foliage for a while after it's rotted, um, and you, so you see the foliage and you don't realize the roots are dead, um, and what happens to us in a large, famous, fast uh, mode of production with no pause 
happens is our our souls weren't made for that you know we uh and so that's one thing we begin to burn out because uh, we're acting as if we're we have no limits but then the second thing is that most of the stuff we're trying to do in the life of the soul with another human being on an ordinary day uh, just takes small mostly overlooked things over a long period of time you know for someone to so so maybe we get a lot of folks to our big event and it it we it was a splash and it was a hit and there's a lot of buzz about that but then all those people who came to the big event go back to their ordinary lives and they need pastors um, yeah. or people to walk with them because they're trying to forgive somebody. Uh, they're trying to overcome a particular sin in their life. They're trying to deal with the confusion about a decision that they have or a relational pain in their family uh, or something at work. They're trying to figure out uh, where the Bible verse is, you know, <laughs> and all those things usually take time. Yeah. And uh, to walk with someone in that kind of patient time, uh, if if we're constantly doing large, famous, fast things as a church, uh, we look great, we experience a lot of buzz, but eventually, internally, folks aren't having the help they need uh, to do the ordinary life stuff that requires patience and time as they wait upon God. And eventually that that not having that kind of time to tend to ordinary life stuff begins to catch up with us in ministry. What might be, you know, if somebody's listening and, you know, this is sort of resonating with them or, you know, they're, you know, they're sort of thinking this may be their problem or, you know, they have a hunch that you're speaking to something uh, or diagnosing something that's present in their in their own life. What are you know some warning signs of um, of this kind of disposition or this pastoral pace? You know, you know, how would you know? Uh, you know, beyond the obvious that you're you know set on big events or what have you. But I mean, how would somebody that just knows spiritually, um, you know, diagnostically, what's going on in their yeah. life that would sort of indicate this? That's a great question, and uh, I want to make sure I, uh, our leaders listening are in larger settings. I'm not in any way critiquing or curmudgeonly about having a big event. Sure. I'm just saying that if that's our only measure, that's where we get into trouble. And so one of the a couple of things systemically we can think about is number one, when we're setting goals, uh, if we're saying like I want to, okay, we want to mobilize home groups. Uh, we want to increase our home groups from, you know, 6 to 15 in the coming year. Uh, that's a very fine goal, but it's a warning sign. Mm. Because in order to measure health, all we have to do is increase the number. And if so if we get from 6 to 15, then we can say, God's at work. Look how God's with us. Uh, this is awesome. Uh, but we're, that goal doesn't require us to ask a deeper question of our spiritual health in the midst of that stuff. So uh, one little thing you can do with that kind of goal-setting warning sign is just add a little word like sustainable or relationally uh, nurturing or uh, soul-sustaining. So instead of saying I want to mobilize, you know, from 6 to 15, we just add that little phrase. Uh, this coming year we're asking God to mobilize uh, 6 to 15 uh, uh, relationally sustainable home groups or uh, soul-nourishing home groups um, or well-rested, contented home groups or something like that. Yeah. So now 
we not only ask the numerical question, but now we also have to ask about the quality of the soul of those who are coming and how this event is uh, impacting the quality of their inner life uh, and their relational life, you know, as leaders and others. Another warning sign systemically in our organization would be something like this, you know, somebody comes in, they're a brand new, you know, they're a visitor, and they say, you know, I, I want to join a, a home group, um, and then they say it's got to be Tuesday or Thursday night, it's got to be at 730 uh, it must have child care, and it has, has to be in South County. Uh, well, they don't realize that what they just did is ordered a half-calf latte with soy. Um, and sometimes as a pastor, I don't realize it either. Uh, and again, it's not a critique. It's just the air we breathe. And so if I'm not careful, I will be prone to orient and wrench all of my volunteers and all of our teams around that one person's request, which means that for that one person's latte order of a home group, uh, according to their personal preferences, I'm now requiring all the volunteers around to adjust everything they're doing in order to meet that preference. And that can work for a barista, but it's really tough on a church uh, because most of the time our volunteers and our staff are already uh, full you know, with what they're trying to do. And it's a warning sign because it, what it means is I'm in my interest to reach the, the visitor, I'm willing to put my volunteers in jeopardy. Uh, and the volunteers have shown their commitment to the Lord and to our community and to, to who we are. And this visitor hasn't yet. All the visitors done is said, hey, I'm here. I know you guys are going to be excited about that. If you want me, here's what you can do. And uh, uh, now the visitor doesn't actually think that that's what they're doing, and we don't think like that, but it's a part of us. So now, so a warning sign is if I'm wrenching everything, I'm bending the whole church toward this visitor like that. Instead, what, what we can do is learn to say, oh, man, I'm so glad you want to join a home group. Uh, let's get some coffee. Uh, or can I introduce you to this and this person? And we make a relational move, and we explain to them why they might have to wait. <laughs> yeah. Now, one of two things will happen. We might lose that person because they'll go to a church down the road where they don't have to wait. Or uh, they'll catch on that waiting is a really big part of the Christian life. And to learn how to wait and to know that it'll still be okay is actually part of the growth they need and that they can find when they come to our church. And so uh, we, we might have to say, you know what, we won't be able to do a house group just like that, uh, but we do have this one opening up. It's opening up in four weeks. It'll be at this and that. And uh, in the meantime, you know, we're here and available. What do you think? <laughs> and we're inviting them uh, to wait. And uh, when I've forgotten to do that and I've tried to bend the church, you know, uh, those who've been in it with me for a lot of years, they'll remind me, they'll say, hey, hey, Zach, remember what you taught us? Uh, uh, let's just make a relational move. Let them know that we have something for them, but it's not exactly what they've ordered. And invite, invite them to a vision for why that could be good for them as well as for us. And, uh, yeah, so when I remember to do that with the help of the fellow leaders around me, then... Uh, then, you know, you end up, you know, maybe we lose, uh, 
Maybe we lose two out of five people with that approach, uh, but three stay. And I guess um, so. That's a warning. Those are two warning signs within the organization of our church. If uh, and then of course warning signs within us is all those things we might guess. You know, if I'm I'm my own soul is growing dry. I don't have one day and seven to rest. Uh, I'm I'm so I'm moving so fast that I'm I'm out more than I'm with those closest to me. My kids aren't experiencing me. My wife's not experiencing me. Um, all those kinds of things, you know. Of course, we could talk about as well. But those are a couple of systemic warning signs for us. I think. No, that's that's really helpful. And what you're describing, what you're explaining, is really um, sort of against the almost pragmatic um, way that ministry tends to run in, in the contemporary, you know, paradigm. So much of what is measurable, you know, the metrics that we use um, to diagnose health, you know, you meant you to go back to your first point about, um, you know, how reaching goals can in a sense be mistaken <laughs> um, for yeah. health. It, it, it kind of reminds me of um, as I was sorting through for the umpteenth time, Jonathan Edwards, you know, distinguishing marks of a true move of the Spirit of God. And, you know, in essence, he's saying, you know, how would you know if your church is really walking in the Spirit? How would you know, in, in our parlance, how do you know your church is healthy or, or, or fruitful? Right. And the things that he outlines, just like the things that you outline in terms of, so not 6 to 12 groups or what have you, but 6 to 12 soul-nourishing groups or, you know, relational yeah. groupings. The things that Edwards lists, right, an, a, an esteem for the Word of God, you know, love for neighbor, that sort of thing, those are – it's so difficult to measure. <laughs> I mean, how would you measure yeah. if the – I mean, how would you know um, or how would you put it into the metrics, this group is a soul-nourishing group? It's a lot easier just to say, oh, we got one more group. <laughs> but how do you yeah, measure – <laughs> <laughs> it it slows everything down. There you go. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I can't measure it quickly now. Now it's gonna it's gonna take a while to know the answer, and it's gonna mean that someone in the congregation among our leadership is close enough with each of those people. Yes. You know to be able to tell in some way if they're if they're growing in these ways, and um, and so that slows everything down, and that's. Yeah, it's a challenge. You know, I, I, I was thinking about how when we make decisions as leaders, you know, there's I think of it as three basic paradigms for decision making. You know, there's emergency room decision making, which values uh, immediacy and relief, and you need that because there are crisis moments in a in the life of our church. And then there, on the other side, there's boardroom decision making, which values uh, quantity and efficiency. And you need you need that you know we have budgets and things like that, but the problem is uh, if that the Lord Jesus doesn't seem to value immediacy and and relief a lot of times when he's uh, sanctifying us or drawing us to himself, and he doesn't seem to be efficient yeah. in the way we think about it or be as concerned about quantity or money the way we are um, when he's ministering to someone. So if we're not careful, our church leadership could become, we're always in a crisis. It's always immediacy and relief, and we're always bending our volunteers and staff as if there's a constant crisis. Or 
we become no different than the noble vocation of, of a businessman or woman, but we adopt they have to deal with money as their bottom line, and we almost act as if that's our bottom line if we're not careful. And so what are you left with? Well, if you take away uh, immediacy and relief, quantity and efficiency, what do you have left as a leader? And uh, at first, that can feel like you're free-falling. You're like, wow, I have no idea what I have left to offer as a leader. And and that's our problem uh, because we have a lot left to offer. We have ourselves. Uh, we have our time. We have our work. We have our rest to offer. We have our appropriate touch. We have eye contact. We have laughter. We have tears. We have prayers to offer. We have opening the word to offer. We have, uh, you know, all those, all those um, things that Jesus regularly offers us. Um, we get to learn to offer that as well. Uh, so that we're not in constant crisis and we're not uh, merely a business organization. Uh, we have categories for both crisis and business, but our bottom line is different, and we're trying to learn as leaders to lead uh, in those other gospel ways. Yeah, what you're describing is really the difference between a pastor and a manager of some kind, mm. and you know, certainly shepherding requires, as you said, you know, aspects of, you know, management. There are things that you have to manage, but to be dominated by that, the tyranny of the managerial um, begins to erode really the, the pastoral sensibility and the pastoral vocation, I think. Um, all right, let's take a coffee break and hear from our hosts at Midwestern Seminary. Midwestern Seminary's 81-hour Master of Divinity degree prepares you for ministry today and tomorrow. Midwestern Seminary's flagship degree program is our primary track for ministry preparation. Requiring only 81 credit hours, the MDiv program is an efficient option for students, equipping them to serve the church in pastoral ministry. Residential students will be trained in a unique community environment passionately focused on the local church. Online students can earn the full degree without leaving their current ministry context. Come be a part of one of the fastest-growing seminaries in North America as we develop a new culture of discipleship devoted to the local church and committed to taking God's unchanging word into a rapidly changing world. Visit mbts.edu slash mdiv today. Okay, we're back. We're speaking with Zach Eswine, pastor and author and professor. And we're talking about... Um, Becoming unbusy, the unbusy pastor, unbusy ministry. And Zach, I want to ask you, what what practices or disciplines or what reminders have you set up in your own life um, to work against this? I think people who are familiar with your writing, familiar with your ministry to some extent, um, know you as, as this kind of guy, the kind of guy that we're um, commending here, um, sort of the faithful... Uh, plotter and in you know in the right way. There's a gentleness um, that you commend, which we also um, you know pick up in your temperament and in, in your um, in your writing and in your ministry. So I'm wondering, first of all, maybe you have a story of when that when this wasn't you. Um, you know, yeah, were yeah. you able to diagnose an un you know, uh, you know an over busyness in your own life, and then what have you kind of put in place some some guardrails or um, you know, disciplines for yourself. 
Yeah, thank you. That, that's such a good question. I it wasn't me, uh, and it's still uh, it's still something that I have to uh, wrestle with, you know, each day in in Christ. And uh, so there's hope for any of us. Uh, and and I know our executive pastors who might be listening, or our our pastors of large churches might be listening, and. And there, they feel the weight of all the managerial realities yeah. of the just the sheer apparatus, the organizational apparatus of what they're trying to to do, and uh, they wonder about these things too. And and uh, I just say, um, number one, uh, the the culture that we cultivate, we're not we're not only passing on the gospel, we're passing on a way of being. And so, even if you're managing a large group. Uh, you can begin to build in language and parameters that establishes the pace that you measure people on so that they know how they're measured. Um, and you can begin to build in, uh, you know, days of rest for your team uh, or days of, 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 of prayer and nurture for your team. Uh, and um, so someone will ask, are these things scalable? <laughs> and right. I just think, I, I don't know in all the ways, but I, I have to believe if they're biblical, they have to be. And uh, to the degree that this is Jesus' way, they have to be scalable. And uh, we can look to him and learn uh, what that is. And so, but um, let's see. So the, in, the, in the life of the church in which I'm the pastor, the first thing that helps me is in our worship service every week, I say we were created for a big purpose, but most of the time a big purpose happens in small, mostly ordinary ways. I say that every week, and uh, we're, we're, uh, we're tempted to do large, famous things fast, but the power of the gospel will empower us to do small, mostly overlooked things over a long period of time. Uh, so I say that every week. It's a part of the language of our church. You know, we have... Uh, a resting month built into the rhythm of our church. So in uh, three months a year, uh, April and August and December, all of our midweek ministries take a break. And uh, they're free to take a break without guilt so that they can take a strategic pause in order to hit it vigorously again uh, after a month break. Those kinds of things built into the culture of our church are not only important for what we're trying to pass on, but they, they, they help me uh, personally. And then every time we meet as leaders, so when our, in, in our tradition, when our elders meet or when deacons meet, for example, or when staff teams meet, we take uh, 15 to 20 minutes to rehearse our core commitments together. Like we'll just remind ourselves, okay, uh, most of the time hurry will not help us. Hmm. Or we'll say... Uh, we're not trying to do a large thing fast. Uh, we'll remind ourselves we're not opposed to God doing a large thing. <laughs> right, right. Uh, if He wants to do that, that's great. It's just not as a norm. He doesn't normally do that, and and we don't want to be slow just because we're passive or cowardly. We're just saying we want to remind ourselves not everything is a crisis. It's not always harvest time. Sometimes you have to cultivate the field. Sometimes mm. you have to plant um, and tend. To get to harvest, and so we we remind ourselves of of that kind of pace language as a commitment that we have, 
and so each team is rehearsing that every time they meet, um, and that's a help for our culture of the church, but because it's gradually being built into the culture of our church and our leadership, it's a help to me, because sometimes I forget, and I click into uh, wanting to please people and not wanting to have to wait and wanting to compete with the big church down the street or my dear brothers over there or whatever it is, and and other leaders in the church will say, hey, remember, you used to t- say this to us, we're, we're saying it to you. And um, so that's a big help. And then in personally, it's the, you know, as a family, I, I have um, one night out a week. Uh, it, it, this will vary for everybody, so uh, just take the principle, you know. But our family has, has this language in it now where it's just like, okay, this is Dad's night out. Uh, and they just know that every week that's, that's the primary night when Dad's gone. And unless it's an emergency, Dad's not gone the other nights. So whatever that is for you, if it's two, two nights a week, they just know which nights those are and they know why, and that's part of the rhythm. And then you, you, don't, you don't step out of that unless there's an emergency. And if that's the case, then our family knows that you would never do that unless it was an emergency, and they also have a capacity to know, well, you have to be out that night. And uh, so that's been a help. And then internally, of course, personally, and I just struggle to take a full day off. I think a lot of us are like that. Mm. Uh, but, but when I take a full 24 hours, and for me that means shutting off email, uh, trusting that if there's an emergency, someone will call me. If I try to fast from some screens for a while and uh, try to sleep a bit without guilt or find a pocket of time for me to read some fiction or poetry, you know, something imaginative or creative. Um, uh, for everybody else, it would be something different. Uh, if The very first time you try to take some time off, it'll be miserable. <laughs> you got to know that. I mean, yeah. it's just going to be miserable, and you won't want to stay with it because you'll feel irritable and all the stuff going on in your mind and the adrenaline in your body starting to uh, decrease, and it just is no fun. But if you stay with it, you know, one day a week sort of begins to build exponentially. When that's happening, I'm, the world around me doesn't slow down, but my internal world does. And I, I have what Matthew Henry called, we, we have, a, he called it a Sabbath heart. That the thing that the Sabbath indicates to us begins to uh, take place within us so that we're able to respond to whatever comes our way more from that slower pace internally that's attentive to God and waiting for him and less reactive and then I've written about something I just call the four portions of a day and when those little pauses are taking place through the morning the afternoon the evening and if I'm up in the night watches uh, that that little rhythm of pause um, and looking to the Lord makes a big difference Again, not to slowing down what's going on around me, but slowing down my inner world. Yeah. And when I lose those rhythms, um, then I'm just, uh, someone tells me they need a, a house group at such and such a day, and it's their half-calf latte. When I'm out of rhythm, I just immediately respond, begin to move fast, try to recreate a program, you know, get people going. And, uh, and that's why I need other people <laughs> to remind me. <laughs> Uh, that no, this is okay. 
take a deep breath. Uh, the Lord's at work here. Let's trust Him. And yeah. What do you get back when you, you know, shift to pastoring slowly? I think, you know, some people who may be listening right now are just contemplating the concept or thinking of what they stand to lose. Um, yeah. You know, even if it's just a, a general sense of momentum or a feeling of productivity or efficiency, but also, you know, the approval of people, you know, things that are even more tangible, you know, giving things up. But, you know, what do we actually get back? What do we gain from pastoring slowly? Uh, joy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so if you want I mean, joy. So it, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, so many of, so many of us, uh, so many of the uh, leaders of ministry that I, ha- I have the privilege of sitting with are unhappy. You yeah. know, uh, they, they, they don't, they're not, they're not, they don't feel content. They don't feel beloved. They feel consumed rather than loved. They feel, uh, leveraged rather than loved. Yeah. Um, they, they feel like they're consuming others rather than loving them. They're leveraging others rather than loving them. And, and, you know, eventually it just becomes, uh, sort of job-like, like a job. I'm just, I just trying to do the next thing and keep it going for God, you know? Right. And, uh, we, we just lose a sense of playfulness of, I mean, heck back, back when we were younger and we, we weren't in ministry and we just dreamt of it. All we dreamt of was having a play. Like, man, most of us weren't thinking, oh, I hope I have the biggest platform ever. We were just thinking, wow, I hope I get the opportunity to serve the Lord. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and so one of the things we lose is joy. It's almost like we feel like in order to do work for the Lord, it's got to feel awful. And, uh, <laughs> right. You know? That, that's uh, how you that's know you're working. Right from the, that's how you know. <laughs> that's, <laughs> uh, and in order to prove to each other, we got to tell how busy we are. Yeah. Um, so we lose joy and uh, a sense of, of content, wholesome contentedness. Uh and we lose a sense of being a part of people who, of a community of, of love, um, rather than just consuming and leveraging. Uh, and I, I think that spills over. It spills over into our family life. It spills over into our just aloneness with God. It, and um, and eventually it, it just kept, catches up with it. So that's one thing we gain. We gain laughter and tears. We, we gain... Uh, a sense of shrugging our shoulders and saying, well, uh, I guess they didn't want to wait four weeks for our house group. I guess um, they don't know yet what it would mean to to love us enough to stick with us for four weeks and not feel like they're missing out. Um, okay, uh, we've come to the place by the grace of God to know that, hey, we could wait for four weeks and still have a good life. Yeah. Well, um, that's a that's a... A, a good thing um, that the Lord gives us, and um, yeah, so that's some of the stuff we gain. Yeah, that's brilliant. Okay, so just as a parting sort of exhortation, um, what encouragement would you give? I imagine this topic may attract some listeners um, as we, you know, kind of promote it and advertise it that we may not have regularly. So our regular listeners, but then also those who they just see. Okay, Zach S. Wine's talking about the unbusy pastor. They're tuning in. 
that because they feel this is them or they're, you know, they feel like they're redlining it or they just feel a little overwhelmed, maybe on the edge of burnout or as so often the case, um, they sent some things off. Sometimes we, you know, a lot of guys hit burnout um, before they realize that it's coming. Um, what kind of encouragement would you give to them? Um, speak a, a word, maybe to, you know, a pastoral word um, to those folks listening yeah. in who, who need it. Oh, I would just want to say you're, uh, you're already loved. You could never be more loved than you already are by the Lord. And, uh, and I'd want to say that you were never meant to know everything. You were never meant to be everywhere at once. Uh, you were never meant to be able to fix everything. You know, those are the qualities of God. Uh, so you don't have to repent because you're not omniscient. You, you get to repent because you've been trying to be. And you, you don't have to repent because you can't be everywhere at once. You get to repent because you've been trying to be. And you don't have to repent because you're not omnipotent and you can't fix everything. You get to repent wonderfully because you've been trying to be and to be freed from that. And so the, the first place to begin is just to say to the Lord, I can't know everything, fix everything, be everywhere at once. I can't fulfill everyone's latte order. I can't go on leveraging people instead of loving them. I can't go on being leveraged rather than love. Lord, recover my heart. And then the next, and he will. He'll just, you might just cry. You might cry and cry and not even know why. And you're not a weak person for doing so. It might be the tears that reveal your true heart for the Lord. And he'll gladly just welcome you. Uh, or maybe no tears will come and you realize, man, I can't even cry. When's the last time I cried? And you'll just say, Lord, I got no joy and I got no tears. Come meet with me and gather me up. And he just will. Because the one that called you uh, is the one who loves you still. And uh, he's enough for you. And then the next thing that's going to happen is finding someone who's trustworthy to be able to speak this to them. And I know you might not have leaders that have categories for this. It's true. Uh, two out of ten, you know, maybe maybe two out of ten folks won't like you. They'll think you're weak um, for saying that uh, you want a sane pace in the gospel, a gospel pace the way Jesus gives it. You might lose two people out of, out of ten. But I tell you, you know, seven or eight people out of ten are just going to say, wow, me too, I want my first love back. And as you lead in that way in your weakness, in your weakness, the strength of Christ will be revealed. And you'll be like the Apostle Paul saying, in my weakness, we see the Lord's strength. And uh, two out of ten might give you a hard time, but eight out of ten will be drawn to you. And the other thing is, is there will be people that you will lose, uh, but there will be other people you will gain. Because they, they couldn't come toward you uh, before because uh, you couldn't acknowledge your own limits and need. And they were in such a, a state of pain or, or need that they need folks who can bend down into the need. And now that you begin to learn how to do that, you'll be surprised at the folks who will be drawn to your leadership that weren't before. But beneath all that, I think you have joy ahead of you. And, man, wouldn't that be good? <laughs> so I pray that for you in Jesus' name. Mm. Wouldn't it be good if we took Jesus at his word that he has come to make our joy complete? Um, yeah. If we really believed that. Zach, um, thanks so much. And brother pastors who are listening, you may need to replay um, that 
last uh, exhortation as often as it takes to um, begin to sink in. We'll be praying for you as well. Um, my friend, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Jared. It's just always good. Uh, thanks for that. Yeah, no, it's been, this is super helpful and already one of my favorite um, uh, experiences doing this. We've been speaking to Zach Eswine, pastor at Riverside Church in Webster Groves, Missouri, author of numerous books, including The Imperfect Pastor, which I highly recommend. I, I remember exactly where I was, in fact, when I read The Imperfect Pastor in two sittings. I was um, outside San Diego. I was preaching a men's retreat at a conference center and campground there, and I was sitting outside by the fire pit, and I couldn't put it down. At the time in my life, the time in my pastorate that I was, it was a timely word um, from the Lord through um, your articulation and application of the gospel to the art. And you you mentioned poetry earlier, um, the poetic um, sort of aesthetic in the book. The I mean, it, it it's prose, but it reads. It has the pacing and the beauty of the best kind of poetry, and it just really ministered to my soul. I don't know if I've uh, told you that maybe last year when we were in Orlando together, but um, it just was really helpful to me. So, those of you who are listening, I, I really encourage you pick up the Imperfect Pastor and get it on Amazon and wherever Christian books are sold. Uh, If you're not a pastor, pick up a copy for your pastor or pastors. Um, I promise they will be ministered to it, uh, ministered by, um, ministered to by it (laughs) greatly. So speaking of poetry, there's me and my articulate self. Thank you for, (laughs) thank you for listening. As always, if you like the For the Church podcast, please share it with your friends. Review us on iTunes. Every little bit helps. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, Managing Editor of For the Church, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.